If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to the last book in the Bible. And we are almost through the entirety of it as we come back to our series on the end. Um, we are in Revelation chapter 19 today. Um, we took a, a month hiatus, so to speak, as uh, through the month of January and the first week of February, I preached on vision for 2014 and beyond, and so we are back here in Revelation. So I want to read for us all of chapter 19 and also the first six verses of chapter 20 as we see what is um, the scene. It's in heaven. And then it's here on the earth toward the end of the chapter and the first part of chapter 20. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 and following. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute and who corrupted the earth with her immorality, who avenged and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God and all His servants who fear Him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready, and it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame, like a flame of fire, and his head as many diadems. On his head is many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a, a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather! 
for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with the armies, with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who is in who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with Him. For a thousand years. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage this morning, as we see it unfold, and Father, in its magnitude, in its, in its breadth, Father, it may be hard for us to, to grasp all the things that are going on here in this one sitting. But Father, would you speak? Father, would you allow our hearts to to grab a hold of a message that you have for us? That we would understand who we are. We would understand whose we are. We would understand the events that are going to take place. All because of events that have already taken place. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You rule and reign. And that will be displayed, Father, for all of creation to see. God, for those of us who are sons and daughters of yours right now, we already see it. We've already bowed the knee. We've already confessed with the mouth. But Father, would we do it on a daily basis? Would I do it on a moment-by-moment basis? God, would passages like this one that we're going to look at this morning 
Father, would we see that? Would we see you? Show yourself as we walk through this, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Since it has been five or six weeks since we've looked at this as as a church, um, let's do a little recap. I've got three points this morning, and the first is that, a, a reminder to bring us all up to speed or a recap of where we are or what has happened thus far in the book of Revelation. John opened the book. If you go back and you look at it, John opened the book and he is an old saint on the Isle of Patmos. He has been placed there by the Roman government just so he will hush. They tried to kill him. They tried to uh, put him in some boiling oil, and he lived through it. And they said, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to put you out on this rock, Patmos, this island, and you just finish out your days there. So he's there, and as he is there, God shows up and shows up in a number of visions throughout the book. And not going to go through all of them, but as he unfolds this vision or these visions, here is what happens. First, there are some letters written to a number of churches, seven churches, there in Asia Minor or present-day Turkey, the city, uh, the cities there, and we looked at those letters. Then, what unfolds is a picture of a worship service in heaven. After the worship service is depicted in heaven in chapter 4, chapter 5, we go into, John goes into three main either cycles or developments of what is called the Great Tribulation. Seven years. There were seven trumpets. After the seven trumpets, there were, um, after that, there was, Seven seals. And after the seven seals, there were seven bowls of wrath. And the last being poured out was the full wrath of God on all of creation. And so John depicted that. He's, he wrote those things down. And then a few weeks ago, we found ourselves in that of chapter 18. After all three of the visions of the seven trumpets and seals and bowls of wrath, we found ourselves in chapter 18. Let me read for us just a couple of verses there in chapter 18. Chapter 18 brings us to the understanding that this beast is a part of Satan's false trinity, the beast and his prophet and Satan himself trying to mimic that of God and his trinity. He has this unholy trinity and the beast and the prophet, they use people up and then they just discard them. Let me read for us just a few verses in chapter 18. I heard another voice in heaven saying, verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. 
I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. In a sweeping moment of time, in, in, a, in just an hour, this Babylon, as it's depicted in chapters previous and also in chapter 18, is at its height, but then in just a moment of time, this world system is thrown away. Satan, the false prophet, and the beast have used up everything in her, and they have said, you know what, you're no more good for us, so be gone, and they cast her aside, and God says to all of His saints, rejoice over that. And then we see a shift from chapter 18 to chapter 19, and let's spend some time in chapter 19 today. A shift is made, and there's great joy is experienced. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, read it once, you can look at it as... You, as we follow down through there, but understand this, there is great joy experienced. The scene changes as we are now looking at heaven, as we're now looking at, at this glorious sight and what is going to come about as a marriage. A marriage between Jesus the groom and His body, the church, His bride. The scene depicts this wedding scene, and as, as it's uh, between this groom, between Christ and the bride, we are allowed to see as the vivid picture is written and portrayed. One word is used a number of times in this passage. It's the only time in all of the New Testament that it is used. Hallelujah, praise God. Praise God for this is the only time that it's written and it is spoken of a number of times through this. And it's they're praising God. You and I are praising God. The church is praising God. Angels are praising God because of the events that are taking place. For most of us here, we... One of two things. We've either gone to a wedding, we were in a wedding, or we were at our wedding, right? And... I need to preface something. I'm about to say something, ladies, are going to make you upset, and that's okay. It's all right. But you need to understand this. We, today, in our culture, make it all about the bride. It's the bride's day. The guys, we rent a tux, if that, and the ladies go out day after day, hour after hour, to say yes to the dress. There's a show about it, you know? I don't watch it, but there's a show about it. It is all about the woman that day. I remember as I was recalled yesterday that I got our anniversary year wrong. 
um, sitting at the lunch table, and Paige had to remind me that we were not married on this date and this year, but we were married on the next year. I just love her that much. I thought we, I was married to her a lot longer. Um, but, uh, but I remember that day. I was standing up front. Nobody stood up when I walked in. They, they could really care less that I was there. Some of them. Except my mom. My mom. I mean, she was there. My grandmothers were there. But when Paige was at the back of the door, the doors opened wide, and everyone saw her. Guess what? They stood up. And they watched her walk down the aisle as I watched her walk down the aisle. After the ceremony, there was one little table over in the corner that had a groom's cake on it. Over in the corner. Her cake was the focal of the whole room. Y'all get the picture? It's also throughout all of our culture that the focus is on the bride. But might I remind you, for the spiritual marriage that you and I are to be a part of with our Savior and the eternal marriage that we will display and live out for eternity on end. It's all about the groom. Our culture has missed it. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a groom, because I'm also a bride. And every man that is a son of the living King is a part of the bride. And it is not about us. It is about Him. And our lives today, our lives this week, our lives until we take our last breath and we see Him are all about Him. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Not to the bride, but to our God. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Praise our God, all you His servants who fear Him, small and great. Great joy is experienced. It's experienced as we take part in this marriage. This is how it is to be forever and ever. In heaven. The point of the marriage. Between the groom. And the bride. Is that he is righteous. And you and I don't deserve him. But he freely gave. So that you. So that you. So that I. Could be his. You see how we, the bride, how we, the bride, get dressed? We get dressed because He gave us, He granted these things there in verse number 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Why? How has she made herself ready? Because it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints he has given us that 
He has granted that to us. We are His. As a part of the bride, every single one of us are to experience this great joy. Oh, the joy. Just as we, if a marriage ceremony was going to happen here, we would stand and we would turn and look, or as the bride would walk down the the aisle, we would look at the dress, we would look at her hair, we would look and see if the veil is there, we'd look and see at the bouquet of, of flowers, and we'd say, oh, what a beautiful bride. Take just a second, and let me read for you a description of the groom. And see how glorious our groom is. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He has the name that is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. From his mouth Verse 15, comes a sharp two-edged sword, a sharp sword with which it's to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Previous chapters have spoken of Kings of this age having a number of diadems on their head, some seven, some ten, the the false prophet or the beast having diadems on their head. But here, Jesus has many, many diadems. What does this mean for you and what does it mean for me? We read this and we're like, all right, Brian, there's stuff out in the future, I understand that, but what's it mean for you this week? i tell you what it means for me this week. When stuff doesn't go my way, when, when my calendar gets thrown up and just thrown into shambles, and I think that I need to be doing this, or I think that I need to be doing that, or I had this down for Tuesday at 2 o'clock and it's not going to happen, I need to remember that Jesus is Lord. When you're weak, that news that you're going to get Thursday, you don't know it's coming. When it comes and it just floors you, you need to be reminded that Jesus is Lord. This verse, this passage tells you that as you are struggling financially, as you are struggling with health issues, as you are seeing family and loved ones that, that you thought, would be here, but they're no longer here. He rules. He reigns. And He's there for you. He's there for me. He's there for us. You know, a number of people as I've read through this or taught through this before, of like, what's that name that uh, is written on Him that nobody knows but Himself? Well, nobody knows it but Him. 
tells us right there. But there are other names that are there. He's the Word of God. John wrote about that in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And He was there in the beginning. He was with God and He is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. A number of times I say that in my prayer. and So now... If you go ask Nathan or Mary Morgan, hey, what is it? How does your daddy pray? And oftentimes they say, you've got to say King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because that's who he is. And I want to be reminded of that. It means that there's one who is worthy of our worship each and every day. John tried to bow down to the angel. He tried to worship, and the angel was quick to say, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't give your worship. Don't don't give your importance to me. I'm just a fellow servant. Worship God. This week, what are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? Third and final point this morning is this. If you look in verse 17 down through chapter 20, verse 6, you see that victory is won and judgment begins. Victory is won and judgment begins. There is a sharp Sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. He is pictured there. An angel is in the middle of the sun and he is speaking and faithful and true. The rider of the horse comes. And all the army of the Lord is behind him. And all the armies of Satan are gathered. And as they are gathered, Something takes place. The beast and the false prophet are taken alive and thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is bound by a great chain and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And Jesus speaks and the armies of Satan are dead. All the birds of the air come and they gorge themselves. As other passages speak, the blood of that battle is at a bridal level of a horse throughout the whole of the valley. All because Jesus speaks. Victory is won. But in honesty, victory had already been won. Sure, the the judgment starts there. As the false prophet and the beast are thrown into the lake of fire, as Satan is bound for a thousand years, the the punishment, the judgment of those three begin. The punishment of their armies come to an come to uh, a finality with them being killed. But victory was won almost two thousand years ago from today outside of Jerusalem where 
Jesus was nailed to a cross, where Jesus bled and died for your sins, where Jesus was laid in a tomb for three days and he arose and he lives forevermore. That is when victory was won for you and victory was won for me. For a thousand years, it speaks that Jesus will rule and reign and there is a group that is with him. If you look at those verses, I saw thrones, verse 4. And seated on them were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life. What a picture. A picture of the resurrection of the bride, of the body of Christ to rule and reign with their groom. That we are priests. One commentator stated it this way about us being priests. Under normal circumstances, a priest was the representative between man and God. He represented God to the people in teaching but also represented the people to God in intercession and sacrifice. Since none of that will be necessary in the millennium, in that thousand year reign, or the eternal state for us to follow. There's another aspect of the priest. The priest is the only one who had access to the presence of God in the Old Testament. And now us as priests, we have access to the Father. And all of us will be priests. Or as Peter writes, we are priests. A royal priesthood. The fact that every New Testament believer is a priest for God carries then the significance that each individual has personal access to and the experience of fellowship with the God of the universe. For most of us here, that that isn't earth shattering because you've grown up in a church that is taught that, that hey, you, you don't need anybody to go to the Father for it. You go to the Father. You are a royal priest, a son, a daughter of the King, and He desires to hear from you and wants to hear from you often. But for a Jew in the first century, that was mind-blowing. You and I are His. We participate in the future with His reign because you and I reign with Christ. Let me put some application and close the sermon. That being said, you and I are to live that way now. We're to live knowing that we are Jesus Christ. We're his son. We're his daughter. He will reign literally for a thousand years. We will reign with him. 
for a thousand years, Satan will be bound and there will be no way for temptation to come about in that time frame. There will be no way to, to thwart the plan or the, the direction that God has for his creation. You and I need to live that way now. Not that we're better than anyone, because we're not. And if we're not careful, we can live that way out. That, hey, we're better than you because we are a son of the king. No, he desires that all would come to him. Not any would perish. You and I need to take the opportunities given to you to show God off to those around you. He's the one to be bragged on. I want to brag on God and one of his daughters. This week, uh, my wife Paige took Nathan to uh, swim. And uh, some others went with them. And, and as they were down there, Paige, uh, Paige started talking to Nathan's coach. And uh, her words, as only she could say it is, I want you to go to heaven with me. And his coach said, well, I... I want to go to heaven too. And so they had an opportunity to talk. And yesterday we went to a uh, swim meet and God had, had it planned out that the coach would have to ride with us because of the snow. And um, we were sitting at lunch yesterday and Paige had the opportunity to share her story of how God saved her from the car wreck. And uh, a number of you don't know that story. I'm not going to take the time Another time we'll talk about that. But it was a miracle that God brought her out of a coma and gave her back to him. And he was just silent, and his coach is never silent. And he was all soaking it in. And just one layer after another layer after another layer, just allowing God to use you in the lives that are around you. Obey Him. That, that may mean that, that you, as we come to a time of invitation, you need to come forward and kneel at the altar and you just need to cry out to Him and say, Lord, I've, I've blown it. I've missed it. I have had this attitude. I've had these actions that are in my life that I know aren't right. You need to obey the Father. For some of us, that may mean that uh, we need to call somebody as we leave this place today and just tell them that we're sorry. For others, that may mean that, uh, you know, when we get to the house, we need to clear off the DVR of what we've been watching and what we've been taping, recording, because it's not bringing any glory to the Father. It may mean that Tomorrow at the workplace when the sarcasm and the jokes and the backbiting and the gossip starts, you just need to be quiet. And it's not just at your water cooler. I rode to Atlanta this week with three other pastors. And I just had to be quiet. And I said, you know, I, I don't need to say anything. And so we had to change the subject, and we talked about Ole Miss, and that wasn't much better. <laughs> but I say this, 
and I mean it. The invitation is for you. It's not for anybody else. It's not for anybody else. It's for you. I'm talking to myself. It's not for you. It's for me. The invitation that you have to come back to the Father. The invitation that you have to get right with Him right now. The invitation that you have to obey. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would meet with us. I've asked it all morning long. Father, there is a thousand other things in this passage, and I understand that, and I have not done it justice. To unpack everything that is there, I understand that, Lord. But Father, you use this word, your word, penetrate my heart to penetrate our hearts and bring us back to you for father one day you will reign literally physically on this place God would we live that way now that you would rule and reign in our hearts and our lives moment by moment day by day father we give ourselves to you I give myself Would you speak into my heart? Would you speak into our hearts? And Father, would we obey? I ask it in Christ's name. Would you stand and sing? Whatever the Father has for you to obey, would you act even now?